Welcome, weary travellers. You are just in time for a trip back into the past with the For Crits and Giggles podcast. If you're a new listener, hello. We hope you like what you're about to hear. If you're an old listener, it's great to see you again. How have you been? I like your hair. It smells good when you sleep. Anyway, we're about to launch off into a new story arc with For Crits and Giggles, but with Season 1 being over 40 episodes long, it can get a little difficult to keep track of everything that's happened. So we'll be covering the story from Episode 1 to 43, giving you either a solid launching point or just a refresher. So without any more bullshit from me, welcome to Yanis. years ago, the goddess of fate and destiny, Ikana, placed her hands upon the spindle of time and created the universe. From her threads came Celestine, goddess of travel, who filled it with life. She and her husband, Randaltor, god of sleep and dreams, bore many children and they, in turn, bore children. After only two destructive wars and the violent birthing of a manifestation of chaos and destruction, Iannis is now at peace. It is watched over by a pantheon of all-powerful but capricious gods. They can, and often do, make their power known, blessing crops, protecting their worshippers, sending divine gifts, or even punishing those who displease them. Lately, however, there has been an undercurrent of unrest on Iannis. The powers of the gods are not felt as keenly as they once were, and there have even been whispers of sections of communities turning to the worship of demons. In addition to this, the northern dwarven clans have begun to close their borders and trade has slowed to a relative halt. Kinha to the east seems poised to some great disaster, and Cantilia, the largest collection of kingdoms in the center of Iannis, is dealing with bloodier and bloodier orc raids. Our story begins a number of weeks before the Lordlands of Cantilia meet in the city of Fernshire. Deep within an orcish fortress, three adventurers awoke with no memory as to how they arrived. Poe, a Kinharian monk, Mordai, a tiefling druid, and Anya, a dwarven sorcerer, emerged from their cells. They shared their confusion and searched for Mithras, an elven rogue, and their friend. Unable to locate him, they began their efforts to escape the fortress. After fleeing a band of orcs and piling into a minecart, they discovered that the fortress belonged to someone named Bazgalub. Their time in the cart was limited, however, as they plunged out the side of the fortress and tumbled into a river below. Shortly thereafter, they awoke on the banks of a small lake and met a farmer, Lombard, and his donkey, Eddie Murphy. Lombard claimed to not only know them, but also know the whereabouts of their friend, Mithras. He led them back to the village of Leafton, where they met Terence, the local innkeep. Upstairs was their friend, Mithras, who appeared to have been poisoned. Determined to find a cure for him, they replenished their supplies at the local merchant, Humphreys. Whilst there, Humphrey informed our heroes that a ranger in the woeful woods may have a cure for Mithras. Freshly dressed, they journeyed to the cabin of Warder the Water Warden, the ranger of the woeful woods. There, he informed them that he would gladly provide a cure for Mithras, but would require a favour. Our heroes banded together with Warder and repelled an attack of misshapen, deformed wolves that had assaulted Warder's cabin for several nights. 
Grateful, Ward had gifted a cure to our heroes. Swiftly returning to Leafton, our heroes bestowed the cure upon Mithras. Mithras shared his friend's amnesia and mentioned that he could only remember the city of Fernshire. Before they could depart, however, a group of orcs arrived in the village searching for our heroes. Just after they dispatched the orcs with relative ease, Warder the Water Warden arrived, injured, and informed them that Bazglub's orcs would soon be attacking the city of Fernshire. Our heroes also noticed that Warder was in fact a woman. After talking to Warder and promising to keep her secret, they once more set out for Fernshire. Once more before they could depart, they were delayed again. At the request of Lombard, our heroes dispatched an abandoned tower full of orcs. Inside, they discovered a letter to the group of orcs confirming Warder's intelligence that Bazgala planned to assault Fernshire. As they left the tower, our heroes encountered a strange, weak-looking goblin by the name of Biddledump. After disarming him in an embarrassingly easy fashion, Biddledump pleaded to join the party as he had been cast from his own tribe. Our heroes brought him along. After obtaining horses from Humphrey, our heroes set off for the city of Fernshire, determined to warn the city of the impending danger. After a few days' travel, they encountered a merchant and his cart being menaced by a group of goblins. After scaring the goblins away, the man introduced himself as Torben Torbenson, a name that our heroes would remember without flaw and with little effort. Grateful, Torben led our heroes back to his village, Moss Pass, and promised them a mighty feast. When they arrived, however, a group of demon worshippers that had recently cropped up in the village hailed Mordai as the Messiah. Thoroughly confused, they continued to Torben's home, where he informed them that the power of the gods was noticeably absent from the village, with crops failing and the woods becoming more dangerous. After attending a bizarre church service that evening, wherein Baldric, the leader of the worshippers, renounced the gods and called upon Demerala, demon queen of nature, our heroes found themselves in the pub. On the cusp of settling into a good, solid night of drinking, our heroes then spied Baldric heading to the edge of town and looking incredibly dodgy. Mordai, Poe and Anya elected to stalk Baldric and find out what he was up to. Mithras had exams that week. After following Baldric to a creepy shack, Anya disguised herself as a drunk villager and fooled Baldric into taking her inside the shack. A little surprised, to say the least, Poe and Mordai quickly burst in. After a little back and forth, Mordai charmed Baldric into trusting our heroes, and he confessed that he intended to bring forth Demerala to Ianus. Again, a little perturbed perhaps, they took Baldric to the local saloon and jailhouse to face justice. It was then that Anya wondered if there was something they had missed at Baldric's shack. There was indeed something they had missed, with a shrine constructed of bones beneath the shack. Poe gathered forth his energy and smashed the shrine to pieces. The spirit of Demerala, brushing the edges of the world, swore her revenge. Emerging from under the ground, Poe, Mordai and Anya, Mithras was still at exams, were shocked to discover the avatar of Shalorn, god of nature. He thanked our heroes for destroying the shrine and blessed their journey, but was unable, or unwilling, to shed any light on why the god's power over Ianus seemed to be waning. 
Moss Pass saved, our heroes continued on to the King's Road to Fernshire, once more with a letter in hand from Torben, Torben, Torben Torbenson to his brother. See how, it easy, how easy it is to say? After several weeks hard travel through the woeful woods, our heroes gazed upon the great plains of Candelia in the city of Fernshire. Approaching the dwarven constructed gondola that would take them into the city, our heroes were dismayed to discover that the gondola was in fact not operational, and would be taking no one over to the city anytime soon. After joining a rather bizarre union of teamsters and acquiring yellow hard hats, our heroes climbed down the cliff, cliff face to fix the problem themselves. Underneath the cliff above, they discovered an ancient dwarven facility that seemed to power the gondola. Far more surprising, however, was the presence of Anya's younger brother, Dimitri, who had also journeyed into the facility to try and fix the gondola. Teaming up with Dimitri, our heroes journeyed deeper into the facility and slew a group of twisted ghouls. At the very bottom, they discovered the true source of the gondola's power, two stone golems. Hopping on the gondola, our heroes swiftly entered Fernshire. Just as swiftly, however, they found themselves surrounded by the local constabulary, where they were informed they were being arrested for crimes against the crown. Our motley band found themselves roughly shoved into an antechamber in the Fernshire Palace, awaiting an audience with King Forsyth Dunwich. They were first visited by a man who identified himself as Fergus Ferguson, Torben's brother. After reading the letter, and mysteriously burning it in a nearby torch, he revealed that our heroes had indeed several weeks prior broken into the temple of Gulthaya and stolen a powerful amulet. But he also promised to help them get to the bottom of what was happening. Standing before the king, they were indeed accused of this very crime. However, upon looking at the face of King Dunwich's advisor Targan, they were struck with their first clear memory from the period that was unclear to them. They all simultaneously remembered that Targan was in fact the one that sent them to steal the amulet. Unwilling to call out one of King Dunwich's closest friends in public, Poe instead told a thinly disguised allegory. Somewhat swayed, the king promised not to have them immediately executed, rather they would be executed in three days time. Their saving grace, however, came in the form of Lady Robin Manderley, King Dunwich's wife. She demanded that the execution be stayed, as her birthday would be taking place in three days' time. Not willing to deal with any more stress, King Dunwich sent our heroes to stay in a cabin on the palace grounds while he thought about what was to be done with them. heroes took a moment to regroup in the cabin before being joined by a plucky halfling girl, Orister, who had been instructed to guard them. Somewhat resigned to their fate, our heroes took the opportunity to rest. Their rest would not last, however, with Orister bursting into the cabin in the small hours of the morning, screaming that orcs had teleported into the palace and were currently laying siege to it. After defeating a group of orcs outside of the cabin that were indeed teleporting all over the place, they rushed to the throne room with Orister. There they conferred with Fergus Ferguson who informed them that Bazglub appeared to be using the Eye of Gulthaya, the amulet they had stolen, to teleport his troops into the Fernshire Palace. 
Having used the acolytes of Lambellus to steal the palace, Fergus was desperate for help and requested our hero's aid with a variety of essential tasks. Anya was paired with a small bag of grease, sweat, and perversion that identified itself as Minwin, a gnomish engineer. They were tasked with repairing the main gate of the palace, allowing clerics of Kalenus to storm the palace and manage the orcish invasion. After retrieving Minwin's tools and a bag of cocaine, the gate was open, but not before Anya made fast friends with an ogre named Grindelbunder. With Grindelbunder and the other ogres being shipped down south to Cranoth to work on roads, Anya promised to find the so-called Ogre Lord and free the ogres. Mithras, meanwhile, headed below the palace with Thantic, a racist wizard, to destroy Bazgalub's teleportation focus. With just a dash of racism, a good handful of death threats, and a dose of murder, the focus was destroyed. No one learned any life lessons, and friends were not made. Mordai was sent to the Royal Garden to find the High Priest of Shalorn, and prevent an orcish cleric of Salem Thur from tainting the city's water supply. After locating the priest, the two plunged deeper into the gardens. A little too deep, it would turn out, with Mordai and the high priest accidentally entering the realm of Shalorn. They were not lost, however, as the spirit of Mordai's druid mentor, Kribalor Treeroot, appeared to them and guided them out. Before departing, however, Kribalor warned Mordai that Fernshire was an important city and must be saved. When Mordai was ready, Kribala would be waiting for him in Kenhar to the east. Poe and Orister were tasked with perhaps the most vital quest of all, defending the Hand of Iptar, a physical manifestation of Iptar's favour towards the city. If it were to fall into the wrong hands, Fernshire may crumble. The pair made their way to the king's quarters, stopping only to evade a bloodthirsty troll, and began the search. It was not to go in their favour, however. Only moments after discovering the location of the Hand, Bezglob himself appeared, recognising that Poe would give his life to save the city, and therefore prevent Pezgalub from taking the Hand without risking the wrath of the gods, Bezgalub struck Poe down and whisked Orister away. After their efforts in defending the palace, King Dunwich was willing to waive their sentence. Targan, however, was not convinced and demanded that our heroes at the very least be exiled from the city. On the brink of believing Targan, King Dunwich's mind was changed by a divine force. A great golden eagle flew into the throne room and presented our heroes with a gift from the god Kalenus, proof of their valour and courage. Thoroughly heartened by this, King Dunwich invited our heroes to stay as long as they liked, much to the displeasure of Targan. And much to the surprise of our heroes, none other than Targan himself appeared at their door the next morning, pleading for their help. Targan explained that he had received intelligence that suggested that a group of tieflings known as the Golden Blades were planning an attack on Fernshire during what is known as the Meeting of the Lords. Fernshire was to host the other nine lords of Cantilia in three days' time, shortly after the Queen's birthday. Targan had been working closely with Fergus Ferguson, but had not seen them since the attack of the night before. Wishing to keep his cards close to his chest and not involve the Crown's resources, Targan asked our heroes to help locate Fergus Ferguson and stop the Golden Blades. After heated words between Poe and Targan, our heroes agreed to help.
Hagen suggested that our heroes begin their search with a local crime lord, an informant known as Frindolin the Ginger. Ever once to follow instructions, the party split up. Poe and Mithras canvassed the city for the whereabouts of Fergus Ferguson, learning that Quinton, the tiefling kitchen hand, may have some idea as to his whereabouts. Mordai and Anya, meanwhile, headed down to the Broken Fiddle, a tavern of ill repute, where Findlin the Ginger was rumoured to reside. Mithras and Poe headed straight to the royal kitchen in search of Quinton. To the surprise of them both, the entire kitchen staff was naked. Blending in, they tracked down Quinton and attempted to question him. Quinton immediately panicked and ran. After a brief in-the-buff chase on horseback, yes, in-the-buff, Mithras and Poe cornered him. He told them that he had seen Fergus Ferguson talking to a hooded figure earlier in the day. While he was unsure exactly what they discussed, he did know that Fergus Ferguson had then made his way to Warehouse 46 on the south side of Fernshire. Meanwhile, Mordai and Anya bribed their way into the Broken Fiddle and discovered a highly classy establishment. They met with the maitre d' Jean Lou and were remarkably upfront about their desire to speak to Frindolin. Immediately understanding, Jean Lou took the pair upstairs and promptly locked them in the room. Initially confused, Mordai and Anya's befuddlement turned to terror when they were faced with a pair of Kinharian death maidens. After handily dispatching them, Jean Lou revealed that he was, in fact, Frindolin the Ginger in disguise, and he had set the Death Maidens on them, as he feared the pair had been sent by the Golden Blades. Frindolin went on to say that all he knew was that some mysterious figure had arranged for a delivery to the city's gang of Golden Blades in Warehouse 46, and it was worth more than his life to get involved. Our heroes rejoined with each other after stealing a non-dinosaur-powered wagon, but it was definitely dinosaur-powered, they headed into the warehouse district and made their way to Warehouse 46. Much to their confusion, they found not tieflings, but instead a gang of elves. After leaping over to the warehouse on the back of Mordai as a lion, yeah, that happens sometimes, Mithras selected to sneak inside and gather what information he could. Inside, Mithras learned that the elves had been hired by someone to pass on an item to the Golden Blades and then meet a buyer with another item. He also learned that Fergus Ferguson had been ambushed by the elven gang and then given to the Golden Blades. Desperate for information, our heroes stormed the warehouse and did bloody battle with the elves. With only a few close calls and an awful lot of arrows shot in the neck, the elves were defeated. Before questioning the elves, however, Poe opened a small sack in the possession of the elves. Inside, he discovered a small, shriveled figure that immediately began to spew a black, speckled light and the heroes were dragged into the dream well inside they were confronted with the remnants of their pasts as well as hints at the future things took a turn for the odd however when they ran into queen manderley who surmised that the trip into the dream well was a trap laid by targan the queen had long suspected that targan had sinister motivations and after assisting our heroes with their escape promised to help them expose targan after returning to the real world, they discovered from the elves that the Golden Blades had holed up in the basement of a tavern called the Leering Goat. After stopping briefly to observe the arrival of the Starlit Rock and foil a premature attack by a lone Golden Blade, they headed to the Leering Goat. Quickly finding the basement, they snuck inside, only to discover that the Golden Blades had already left. The god, Laul, a 
appeared shortly afterwards and demanded secrets in exchange for information. Mordai confessed that his father was in fact a demon. Anya told of how she had been hearing the goddess Ikana in her mind, and Poe reluctantly told of time gone by when he had an entire village put to death for treason. Mithras studied for his exams upstairs. Delighted, Laul told our heroes that the Golden Blades had fled to the clock tower in the Plaza of the Sun and had in their possession a canopic jar of Salem Thur, a deadly magical artifact containing a piece of the God of Disease. He also informed them that the true culprit was a member of the royal court. Our heroes made great haste at the clock tower, pausing only to run into Salem Thur himself, who desired the return of his jar, and to meet with the queen. Our heroes, along with the queen, entered the clock tower, swords drawn. Inside they discovered the golden blades, dead, and Targon standing over the bodies. The king's advisor protested his innocence, whilst the queen demanded his death. Unsure, but searching for answers, Anya cast detect thoughts on Targon and the queen. When her spell reached the queen, Anya collapsed. For cover blown, the queen drew her sword and revealed her treacherous true self as an agent of chaos. After a tense and thrilling battle, Poe, Mordai, and Mithras in the real world, and Anya in the astral plane, the queen was defeated. Climbing to the top of the clock tower, they discovered Fergus Ferguson alive and the canopic jar unopened. Convinced they were doing the right thing, our heroes called upon Solemn Thor and returned the jar to him. To their horror, the crying gods ceased crying, absorbed the contents of the jar, and departed in joy. The near future now uncertain, our heroes begin their descent from the clock tower. And that was season one, a pretty damn big journey for sure, and one that we're excited to continue. We'll be back pretty damn soon with the story of how Poe, Mithras, Mordai, and Anya all first came together. In the meantime, why not hit us up on Twitter? We're at for CNG Podcast. I'm personally at Mr. K underscore Bennett. Uh, alternatively, you can find us on Facebook. We're under For Crits and Giggles. But if you really want to get right into what's going on, head on over to our brand new website, forcritsandgiggles.com. There you'll find all our past episodes, recaps, information on the characters, and a good dose of the lore of the world of Ianis. Until next time, may all your hits be crits.
special gift just for you, Karen. 